we keep watching the Ink Master show on Netflix, you can smell the Axe body spray through the TV. Hello, and welcome to Ten Cent Takes, the podcast where we celebrate celestial new beginnings, one issue at a time. My name is Jessica Frazier, and I'm joined by my co-host, the king of culture, Mike Thompson. I am landed gentry now. Oh. (laughs) It's true. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited for you guys. Anyway. Let's get back to it. The purpose of this podcast is to study comic books in ways that are both fun and informative. We want to look at their coolest, weirdest, and silliest moments, as well as examine how they're woven into the larger fabric of pop culture and history. Now, if you're enjoying the show so far and want to help us grow, it'd be a huge help if you'd rate and or review us on Apple Podcasts, pod chaser or good pods because that really helps with discoverability if you haven't heard of good pods it's this really cool new podcast app that actually feels like a social network all on its own but the cool thing about it is that it's got incredible features that let you find new shows based on what other people in your network are listening to and the whole focus of the app is really on helping indie podcasts like ours grow likewise we'd love to have you join our little community on social media We also wanted to let you know that if you've been listening to us on Spotify, you'll have to go elsewhere in the future. We believe in vaccines and masks, and many of our friends and loved ones are extremely vulnerable to COVID-19, and we can't in good conscience leave our content on a platform that's heavily promoting anti-vax voices. As of now, we have submitted a service ticket to have ourselves removed from the platform. You can find us as Tencent Takes on every major platform. Today, we'll be looking at the final volume of Neil Gaiman's The Sandman series, Volume 10, and giving our final overall thoughts and feelings about the series. But before we do that, Mike, what's one cool thing that you've read or watched lately? Uh, (laughs) So I mentioned in our last episode that I've been going down a rabbit hole with a bunch of old comics from the 80s that were published by a group called Continuity Comics. Mm-hmm. Continuity is its weird and it's interesting. They were this publisher that was founded by industry legend Neil Adams, and they were notorious for being absolutely unable to stick to a schedule, and instead they would use gimmicks like holograms and glow-in-the-dark covers to sell their books rather than actually have quality content inside them. You love gimmick covers so much. That's like your favorite thing. <laughs> yeah i mean like like i was telling sarah about this and she was just like oh so this is crack for you but the other thing is that the art itself is actually really good it's just there's not a lot of editorial quality so one of the series i picked up for like nothing is the entire run of a comic called cyber rad and cyber rad is this weird series that's about mm, 10 issues long across three different volumes and the basic premise is that it's an 80s punk cyborg. The main character is this punk rock star named Simon who wakes up on a street with no memories and he's suddenly being pursued by killer robots. And over the course of seven issues, it's revealed that he was abducted and turned into a cyborg 
but he has no memory of any of this. And the comics are basically one giant chase sequence and they only have a story in the loosest sense of the word. But there's a lot of really great art and action sequences. The series is legit beautiful, but it's also (laughs) obvious that the creators didn't really have a plan for a plot. They were making it up as they went along. (laughs) You know, I love a good fake plot line. Yeah, I mean, we don't ever find out why Simon got turned into a cyborg. We never find out why there's this giant conspiracy, which is across the government and media that's working to hide the existence of the killer robots explained to us. And we never really find out why this book came out in 1991, but Simon and his friends are all rocking punk tribal looks from circa 1983. But it's insane garbage from the late 80s, early 90s. And so I'm in love and I want to marry it. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, to the surprise of nobody that knows me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So what about you? What are you uh, reading these days? Well, I finished reading Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, the beginning. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I was really impressed overall with the story and the character of Moon Girl. And I just loved that she knew that she was smarter than everyone else. And I could really feel her struggle of having to try to prove that, even though she she really was proving it just by the things she was doing and nobody was listening or paying attention to her. And yeah, just and like, she's now oh. billed in Marvel as like one of the smartest people on the planet. It's actually really cool. Yeah, I think the smartest. I think that's I think she is the, the smartest from what I read. Y- yeah, I can't remember if that's where they're they're going with it now but i do remember that like it's routinely basically she's like one of the top five intellects on the marvel 616 planet which is great yeah and i loved that she was always outsmarting the hulk yeah (laughs) no it's a very wholesome series yeah so it's just it was fun it was super wholesome like you said so yeah there's a there's a whole storyline later on where i think Lunella goes up against the Kingpin's adopted daughter, and it's one of the funniest things I've ever read. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, we're, we're not talking about Moon Girl today. And, you know, we are actually are finishing out our main topic of the Sandman series. Mike, do you want to just want to mosey into it? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's kind of wild. <laughs> this is six months of content coming to a head. Yeah, we really thought we were going to be done last time, but nine was just nine was just a beefy beast. I couldn't I couldn't do it, and I couldn't do a double episode with nine and ten. It was too much. Well, we also had a lot of feelings about that volume too. Uh, we we had a few. Yeah, we certainly did. Go back and check it out. But yeah, uh, I'm down. Let's go. Yeah. If you haven't listened to our previous episodes, uh, this is the final episode of the Sandman series, but if you haven't listened to our previous episodes, you can go back and listen to episode 15 for volumes 1 and 2, episode 17 for volumes 3 and 4, episode 19 for volumes 5 and 6, episode 21 for volumes 7 and 8, and episode 23 for volume nine. So many episodes. So many episodes. So volume 10 is titled The Wake, 
and was originally published in single issue form as The Sandman 70 through 75 in 1995 and 1996. Written as always by Neil Gaiman, with art by Michael Zuli, John J. Muth, and Charles Vess. Our final volume begins with Chapter 1, with the Endless coming together at a crossroads and organizing the ceremony for their dead brother, Dream. Back in the Dream Realm, Daniel is now an all-white version of Dream of the Endless, though he does not take on the name Morpheus, as it is not his, and does not keep Daniel, because he's not really Daniel any longer. He's just Dream. He recreates Abel after Cain's description. And Matthew is salty that he didn't go die with Morpheus, but to Eve's point, why? For what? Matthew doesn't want to be in pain from grieving, however, and doesn't seem to react to the information that his wake was that evening and the funeral was the next day. Something that I I thought about, and I'm not sure if this is actually the case, but I was thinking it could be possible, is that Matthew's reaction to Morpheus's death it reminds me a lot of how I saw a lot of my friends who were absolutely in love with Kurt Cobain react when, when he died. And it was that kind of, I don't know, it's not quite being in love with someone when they pass, but it's, it's someone whose presence was so massive and so important. And then there's just all of a sudden the knowledge that they're never going to be there again and trying to figure out how to process it and how to deal with it. And so they just kind of shut down for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that being really similar. It's something that I thought of based on my own personal experiences. And I'm sure there are countless other examples that are similar. But it was interesting to sit there and reflect on that. Yeah. In different realms, people associated with dream are falling asleep like Nuala, Rose, Richard, Lita, Alex, and Hob, while New Dream starts to rebuild the destruction caused by the Kindly Ones and starts to give back life to Mervyn and Fiddler's Green, who declines, stating that it would cause his death to lack meaning. Titania, Duma, and Bast also make their way to the Dreaming. All of the party members end up in the same place where the news of Morpheus's death is broken to those who do not know. And then the Endless arrive, filling the sky with their massive presences. Chapter 2 begins with the Endless physically creating a house of remembrance. And once they're finished, everyone else can go inside except for New Dream, who can't be communicated with until after they have finished their ceremonies for Morpheus. We check in with the characters about their relationship with Morpheus, however tumultuous, and Clurican runs into his nemesis, who looks exactly like himself. Each of the characters waiting for the wake and the funeral tell their own experiences with Morpheus, whether good or bad or mixed. We also find out that Larissa, a.k.a. Thessaly, was the one that Dream had been pining over in Brief Lives. So, <laughs> that's a new circle around. <laughs> Batman and Martian Manhunter also show up in, the, in a panel, along with John Constantine. Matthew comes upon the Endless, gathered in what used to be Fiddler's Green, and Matthew is asked to say something at the memorial, and he agrees, although reluctantly. Yeah, and when the superheroes show up, I can't remember if it's either before or after the funeral, but they're all talking about 
oh, have you ever had these dreams where these things happen and they're all talking about Silver Age stories from like, you know, from the 50s and 60s? Superman is talking about being a newsreader or or where he has an ant's head or where he's a gorilla. Yeah. The the one that he, the best one is he says the one I hate is where I'm just an actor on a strange television version of my life. Have you ever had that dream? And <laughs> Batman's response is doesn't everyone? And then Martian Manhunter goes, "I don't." <gasps> oh, damn. Yep. I remember that part. Yeah, and then the other thing is that John Constantine meets up with uh, the Phantom Stranger and Dr. Occult, and he sits there and he says, nice trench coat to them, and they're like, oh yeah, thanks. But the thing is, is that in the Books of Magic, those three guys and one other person, Mr. E, form eventually what's known as the Trench Coat Brigade, because they're all magic users who wear voluminous trench coats. (sighs) It's it's very good, and I liked it a lot. Ugh, gotta love Easter eggs. So chapter three is the funeral, and everyone gathers in the house of remembrance that had been built by the Endless. Dream is with the guardians at the gate of the castle, and Destruction shows up, but reveals that he will not be going to the memorial, he's just passing through. But he definitely wants to mooch some food. <laughs> The Endless each take a turn, talking about their brother, along with other members of the guests attending. They send the body up a river in The Dreaming, with the scenery changing around the guests, and the boat changes into a swan boat and floats into the sky. After the ceremony, everyone parts ways, and Lita goes to see New Dream, who explains that the Daniel she knew burned up, and he was transformed to Dream of the Endless. He gives her a protection and sends her back to the waking world. Matthew shows up and decides to be New Dream's raven. Dream wakes up those that are still wandering around the dreaming, and then he goes to meet the family who has gathered around a table. Chapter 4 shows us Hop Gadling going with his current girlfriend to a run fair, which he's really grumpy about. because Oh, he's so point, salty. He's so oh salty God. about it, and it's so funny. <laughs> It's like, to his point, it's all very romanticized and not true to what was actually going on at the time. Yeah, I mean, like, and the other thing is that, you know, he lived through it. And so he remembers all the bad parts as well, especially when he, I think around that time he was becoming a slaver, like he, uh, he was investing into the slave trade. And, and so it's bringing up real bad memories for him. I get it. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like a lot of times people want to sit there and remember certain events or things and for whatever reason they're real bad for us like my family had a tradition for the holidays where they had plates with years printed on them and then on thanksgiving you would go around the table and talk about one thing that you were thankful for for the year that was printed on your plate one year i got a plate with the year of 2014 which was when i had just been laid off from a really toxic job but it was really kind of traumatic and then i was also going through an equally traumatic divorce and i was just like nope i'm I'm going downstairs. I'm going to vanish. I'm going to I'm going to Irish goodbye this for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can't always there's not always good things to to yeah, look at. You exactly. Know? And so she works there though. And yes. so she goes off to work at the fair for the day and he goes and gets drunk and goes into a random condemned Ren building? Like don't they build those every year? Like why is there a condemned building? Yeah, so 
Well, you okay, know what I so. Mean? Yeah, it's interesting because like there were when I worked at the Ren Fair at the Nut Tree in Vacaville, I think they actually had a couple of buildings that wound up eventually getting left up because they were there for so long and there was nothing else happening. That's not typically how those festivals work is it's all very temporary teardown structures. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. So I was like, wait, why is this condemned? Oh, well, I guess I'll just look past this. <laughs> yeah. So he's visited by death who made Dream's usual offer of ending his life, and he again declined, but seemed to think pretty hard about it this time. He fell asleep at the festival and dreamed about Dream and destruction. The next section is a story called Exiles and is about an old man named Master Lee traveling through the desert. Along his journey, he picks up a kitten and also comes upon Old Dream, chilling in a random tent in the desert. He tells Dream that he's going into exile, and then leaves, but ends up back at the tent after traveling away from it. This time, New Dream is there, and explains that he is in a soft part of the dreaming, and is being led by the kitten. He asks Master Lee to be his counsel, but Master Lee states that he will do as his emperor commands and go into exile. Dream said that if he changed his mind, he could let the kitten know and it would get the message to Dream. Yeah, and I mean, like that that story actually reminded me a lot of the Marco Polo story from, I think, from Dream Country or same or was it Dream Country or Brief Lives? It was one of the other. It was one of the two. I, I can't recall at this point, but I, I was thinking about the same thing as I was reading it. I was like, what's the fixation on like getting lost in the desert? <laughs> like, yeah. that's. You know, like the allegory has been done, but like what what is the fixation? Yeah, and I honestly don't remember if Master Lee shows up anywhere else. I my knowledge of the lore, the 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 universe lore gets very spotty after this this series and Lucifer and the Books of Magic, and I don't remember him showing up anywhere else, but I could be wrong. Mm. Mm. Love those one offs. <laughs> Our next story is called The Tempest and is about our boy Billy Shakes writing the titular play. We find out that Shakespeare had a deal with Dream for two plays and that Midsummer Night's Dream had been the first and now The Tempest would be the second. Yeah. The other thing is that this is illustrated again by Charles Vest, who, who is the same guy that illustrated the oh. Midsummer Night's Dream issue. Good looking out. I did not realize that. Yeah. Well, and like I've talked about how like I really like Charles Vest's illustration style. It was kind of cool that there's that symmetry. Yeah. Yeah. I do like that. I do like that. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit later about how I felt about like overall with the, the changing in art styles. Yeah. yeah. Billy states that this is his last play he will write and that it's taking longer since he's older. He writes the play, gaining insight and inspiration from conversing with others. Once he is finished, he gives the play to Dream and asks that he be able to have a glass of wine in his house. Yeah, to, to basically to, to celebrate kind of the, the completion of a contract between them, if I remember right, right? Yes, correct. Correct. So they make the journey to Dream's Castle, where they discuss what the play represents for William Shakespeare. Dream also tells him what his life might have been like if he hadn't made this bargain, and promises that his plays will be remembered. Yeah, and then it ends with him basically waking up and, and kind of continuing on with his life. But one of the, the key concepts has been 
his daughter who is older is still unmarried and how she's being courted by someone and he's very grumpy about it uh basically or was it him or was it his wife who wasn't really into it i can't remember i can't remember one of them was yeah basically it sounds like they're not really into the the idea of this other guy you know courting their daughter because he's no good and and then it notes at the end that she married him anyway and then they didn't have a happy marriage which is very true he like he cheated on her and basically squandered money and i think i think essentially shakespeare changed his his will so that his inheritance went to his other child so that his son-in-law couldn't get a hold of it oh i didn't know that story yeah, I took I took a couple of classes on Shakespeare in college and learned about this stuff. And I mean, it's one of those things where it basically it just says in the comic, it's like, oh, she married him and their marriage was not a happy one. And I'm like, that is an understatement. Come on, Neil. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he, he, you will elaborate on a lot of things, and this is where you stop. Okay. <laughs> exactly. It. <laughs> But yeah, Neil Gaiman also talked about how basically he felt like The Tempest was where he wanted to to finish the series because he felt like it's a story about beginnings and endings. And yeah, I've, I've got thoughts on that, but we'll talk about it in a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know that I, I don't know that I, 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 when I read the last story, I was like, this is the last story? Oh, okay. All right. It wasn't what I was expecting. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're we're kind of headed in this direction, but Mike, what were your overall impressions of the story, and who were your favorite and least favorite characters or events of this final volume? Yeah, I will say I really liked Daniel as the new aspect of Dream. You could still see some of the old parts of Morpheus in him, but he was also a new character, and Gaiman made a point of showing him of showing that with things like him being kind to other characters. And I also liked how he made a point of telling Lita that he forgave her and he put his mark of protection on her. And I also, I really liked the final story with Hob Gabbling, which, I mean, that shouldn't surprise anyone who's listened to me talk about Hob on our previous episodes. I, I really thought the little episode of him at the Ren Faire should have been the end of the volume, even though it wasn't the final issue in the series. If it were up to me, I would have used the final two stories that we see here to bookend World's End or maybe even throw them in Fables and Reflections, but they just, they feel like a really unsatisfying addendum after, after that really lovely story with Hob. And that issue feels like closure from a reader's perspective. And I feel like Hob was also one of those characters that we have gotten to see evolve and, and come to care about as the series goes on because he shows up over and over again. And he he is shown to have an actual relationship with Morpheus, you know, as opposed to, say, Nuala. Yeah, right. <laughs> but that said, I'm very torn on this volume. It feels much more meandering than it should have been. Like, I get it. Gaiman was trying to give himself closure to this thing that he'd created and spent the better part of a decade with. And I think goodbyes are necessary for stories like The Sandman. And I'm glad Gaiman had the opportunity to give us one. But I also feel like it could have been tightened up. And that said, wakes and and memorial services, they always seem to go long. And I think that's because when they're over, it's that final acknowledgement that the deceased is really gone. And so maybe it's fitting that that's what happened here. But I really felt dissatisfied with those extra stories that we were given at the end. They feel really confusing 
with their placement. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, like, how do you feel otherwise? Are you kind of on the same page or? Well, to your point, I, I didn't really dig the ending and the way it was kind of portrayed. I really feel like for me, the end of the last volume really felt like the end to me. And yes, there mm. were some goodbyes, and I, I do agree with you that it was kind of nice to see these goodbyes. It really feel like I, I feel like it really did put a bow on the end of that last one, and then it felt kind of abrupt to jump back into it. Yeah. And then the last book or the last volume felt a little tacked on. And I think the stories that didn't have a distinct timeline, like the Shakespeare story or the one about Master Lee, could have been, to your point, in any of the other anthology books instead of in here. And it didn't really feel like a proper ending, this volume. And, and I, I do feel like we get closure with the transition of the different dreams, though. That's the thing. So, you know, I, I was mixed. I felt it, it was complicated. Okay, but I'm going to be devil's advocate here. What if halfway through the, the volumes, we see that issue with Master Lee and we see the new dream show up and it's like, what the fuck is going on? No, I mean, I guess you're right about that. I just don't, I don't know. It just didn't, eh. I, I mean, it, you it. know, we're armchair quarterbacking this. Um, but, that's, <laughs> but that said, I'm thinking about it as an editor now. I think if you played with the order that these are presented in, it would be stronger. But that's, I mean, again, that's me. And, you know, DC doesn't pay me the big bucks. So, mm. No, but I mean, call us. <laughs> I mean... DC, are you listening? Call us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so do you, Mike, did you have a favorite art moment in this volume? Like, was there a panel or cover that really stood out to you or hit you in some kind of way? You know, anytime that Michael Zuli is doing pencils for a book, you know you're in for a treat. So it's really hard to narrow down one moment this time around but i keep getting drawn back to that image of desire giving their eulogy like in all honesty it's this really callous kind of <laughs> kind of shitty speech but i will say desire looks absolutely incredible and it kept giving me marlene dietrich in morocco vibes oh totally yeah what about you i really liked the stained glass particularly in the last story when shakespeare and dreamer in his living room Mm. And all of the stained glass windows are actually the endless siblings. It's a really nice little touch and the colors and the drawing style are really pretty. And I just, I love stained glass. Yeah. You've talked about that before. Yeah. Yeah. So let's move on to our overall thoughts of the Sandman series. Um, we've given ourselves a little bit of time to think about it. Hopefully you've been ruminating. I know I have. Oh yeah, totally. What? Let's start with you. What are your overall feelings about all 10 of these volumes of the core Sandman <laughs> series? Yeah, it's funny. This entire book club has been an opportunity for me to reflect on not just, you know, the story and and the overall series, but who I was when I was reading the series at earlier points in my life. So it's weird to think about who I was and where I was, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, etc. And back then, I used to recommend Sandman without a second thought. 
to anyone who wanted a comic recommendation, but I don't know. Now I'm not so sure about that. And I still think this is a really beautifully written series, but it's also one that uh, it has a number of issues uh, that I didn't notice before. And some of these issues are content and are with content and tone, which is for me at least coming out of the other side of how things have changed the last couple of years, you know, in terms of society. And some of the other issues are due to pacing and reading order. I think I enjoyed the series the most when we were getting the one-off stories that featured the endless and smaller roles. They, those are the ones that are the most fun. I think they have the most interesting moments. And I will say that most of the, you know, in quotes, main stories that focus on the endless and their maneuverings, they're generally the ones that I enjoyed the least. And I think you could cut the entirety of a game of you and not lose anything from the overall series. But the other thing that I keep reminding myself of is that this is a series that's over 30 years old. And when it came out, there really hadn't been anything like it. And while certain elements are problematic these days, the comic laid the groundwork for so much great stuff that I've really come to love. And I'm really curious to see how they update the story for the Netflix series that's coming out this year. Yeah, I'm really interested in seeing how that turns out as well. And I'm I'm glad that we were able to finish the series prior to it coming out so that I really was yeah. able to go into it understanding what the comic is and, and very truly reading through all of it and absorbing all of it. And yeah, yeah. But overall, I, I really liked the series. There were certainly parts that I think were very clearly written from the experience of a white cishet male, but and from yep. 30 years ago, you know, <laughs> But the storylines and the characters were really interesting overall, for the most part. And I ended up having really complicated feelings about the Endless in general, but Morpheus specifically as a character. And he took me on this roller coaster of emotions as a reader, where there were just times that I wanted to root for him and other times that he was clearly acting entitled or self-indulgent. And it was really hard to see how much power he had over others and how much ability he had to affect the lives of others at his whim. And his lack of understanding of the impact of that when he did do that to others. Yeah. And it made me really think about billionaires in this country. Like that's a whole other can of worms I'm not opening in this conversation, but it gave me <laughs> yeah. definite like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk vibes. Yeah, 100%. Like, you're so entitled, you don't even know how you're affecting everyone else or how you could make everybody else's lives so much better. Dream could take away nightmares. You could never have a nightmare again. But he purposefully creates them and sends them out into the world. Like, think about that. Mm. Yeah, I so, mean, I, you know, they are not. The Endless are not meant to be altruistic beings. They're, they're just kind of forces of nature on a cosmic scale. And nature is very cruel sometimes. But they interact as people. And that's the difference. They form mm. emotional attachment as people. So they actually can't 
they can't be emotionless in this space because they interact and they form bonds. Yeah. You know, so they are acting out of their own emotions a lot of the time, especially Dream. He's such a mopey motherfucker. Ah, yeah. What was it I described him as? The mopiest moper who ever moped? Yes. (laughs) That was exactly it. And it's so true. Yeah. It's so true. Like, he's just the saltiest bay. It's just not. Yeah. So it that's that's a whole part of it. It's like that'd be great if he was just above all of that and and was just an entity that wasn't self-involved, but he's very self-involved and a lot of the decisions he makes are based on his own emotions. Yeah. So You know, I also had I had complicated feelings about the change in artistic style for each of the volumes, and I would say overall I loved that we were able to see the characters portrayed in so many different ways by so many different amazing, talented artists. So absolutely no shade to that. But there were times when I did find it really hard to follow, especially since the look of some of the B characters could be slightly different than when they showed up the first or second time. And being a first time reader, there were a ton of times that I was super glad that I was talking through them on here with you, Mike, because I just didn't realize who specifically some of the characters were when they showed up once again, when they were drawn in a different volume, in a different style, you know, in a different, (laughs) like, (laughs) so it just was, (laughs) you were able to fill in some of those gaps. So I appreciate that. (laughs) Well, likewise. I mean, you know, it was really fun to sit here and just kind of reflect and think seriously about this story. And yeah, yeah, like this was, this was a blast. I'm, I'm looking forward to our next book club. I don't know what that's going to be. It's going to be a little while. So yeah, yeah. We'll have to we'll we'll give everyone a breather, don't worry. We won't jump right <laughs> back into one. So but you know, maybe um I don't know, maybe weigh in everyone if you if you want us to do a book club on something specific, like let us know on our social media, you know? Yeah. We uh, we are open to suggestions. We're so open to suggestions. We're like <laughs> cavernously open to suggestions. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, Mike, what do you think we wrap this bad boy up? Uh, you know, I think it is a good time for us to close the book on Morpheus and, uh, and move on. Well, awesome. Well, we've reached the point in our episode where we talk about our brain wrinkles, which is one thing comics or comics adjacent that we just cannot get out of our minds since the last time we talked. Mike, what's it for you this week? Yeah, we are still pretty locked down because of the current Omicron surge. So my stepson and I didn't get to go out and see No Way Home in theaters because, you know, basically he got vaccinated and then right after he had had two weeks to let it, you know, build up the antibodies, suddenly everything was on fire again. And so we couldn't really, <laughs> we weren't really inclined to to go to a contained room with a bunch of strangers who we didn't trust to, you know, to follow safety protocols. Um, And again, I just want to shove popcorn in my face if I go to the movies and I don't feel comfortable doing that. And as you said, an enclosed room with a bunch of strangers. 
Yeah, I mean, red vines and soda are always my default, and and like I, if I can't do that, then I'm like, mm, fuck it, I'm staying home and I'll wait until it comes out on streaming. But yeah. speaking of that, the Eternals did just come to Disney Plus, so we actually got to watch the movie this past weekend, and I kind of enjoyed it to be honest. Like, it's not my favorite of the Marvel movies, but I didn't think it's bad. I think Disney was afraid to let the movie be a slow burn narrative. So there's a lot of exposition that feels like the studio didn't trust us to figure things out on our own, but it's still decent. It just has some flaws. And that said, I don't think it deserved a lot of the hate that I've been seeing for the last couple of months online. And that said, Neil Gaiman wrote an Eternals comic about 15 years ago, and I could see some of the the major elements of that book in the movie story and we overall enjoyed it i was honestly really glad to see marvel do something so different with one of their movies and i really hope that we get more stuff like this in the future because as much as i enjoy the marvel movies they're pretty samesy in a lot of ways yeah yeah i agree with you it's nice to see different takes on things yeah and and that said, I'm really curious to see what we're going to get in the near future, especially with stuff like Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. We've got Blade coming out soon. So I think we're going to get a lot more kind of interesting supernatural horror movies um, or dark fantasy since it's you know going to be a comic book movie. But we'll we'll see how it goes. Yeah. What about you? What uh, what's kicking around your noggin? Well unsurprisingly i've been thinking about women in comics you know it's a topic on my mind a lot of the time you know being a woman who reads comics yeah what um (laughs) what that's crazy next thing you're gonna do is tell me you're a feminist god oh not on this show (laughs) oh my gosh so i i can find women protagonists yes but a lot of times they are drawn in a certain skinny and thick and all the right places way that is just not representative overall Mm -hmm. you know think every character is slinky catwoman you know unless it's being portrayed as a negative character like in our last series we just talked about despair is portrayed she's the only larger character that's continuously in this story Mm -hmm. and she's a negative character nothing about her is good and also i did not dig the implications that being larger like larger people are in despair and being a mid-sized fat person myself i that's really insulting in so many ways to have that be the message And I mean, recently, however, I have been able to find more representation of different shaped characters, but usually seeing them from like indie or smaller publishers. Right. I started, um, I got, I haven't started reading them, but I've got the comic saved through Boombox. And Hmm. I haven't heard about that one. And that has, oh, roller, chubby roller skating women. It's the cutest. (laughs) Oh man. Okay. (laughs) Yes. And so, I, but I want more of that. You know, I just, I want to see myself. Like, I want to see some roles. Like, I'm not ashamed of my roles. I want to see them, <laughs> like, in comics. <laughs> yeah. Like, as someone who has often struggled with body image myself, and, and I'm sure that reading superhero comics in the 80s and 90s did not help with any of this. 
I, I would love to see more normcore looking characters show up. But like Sarah and I were watching the movie Nobody with Bob Odenkirk, where he ends up being this badass, like lethal wetworks operative. But the thing is, is like he's very believable in that role where he like he's very fit looking. But at the same time, it's it's a believable level of fitness. Yeah, I would love to see more of that and less of people who look like Chris Hemsworth. That is not me saying that I do not like Chris Hemsworth. I think he is a delight and. No, hit us up, Chris. Yeah, like... <laughs> Please, hit us up. <laughs> I was so quick to jump. I was yeah. so quick to, to tell him he needs to contact us, but he does. Yeah, one of the good so, Chrises. Like, yeah, honestly, we, oh, like we'll, any of, we'll take any of all the Chrises. of the Chrises. No, not Chris Pratt. He sucks. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, no, I, I agree with you. So if you want to send the other Chrises our way, yep. you can. Yeah, Chris Pine, Chris Evans, Look and Chris your- Hemsworth. We will yes. we will 100% yes. have you on the show anytime you want. We'll clear out our schedule for you. 100%. But yeah, so Marvel DC, please have some more representation. That really was where I was circling the drain to get to. Yeah. Big two, listen up. I volunteer also. I volunteer to be involved in this. Like, I'm a very normal-sized person. <laughs> uh, well, what was it? My uh, I posted a photo today of I got... Uh, for a future episode i have i picked up the entire run of the 1980 series of debbie does dallas and one of my friends chimed in about how that cover of issue number one shows debbie and she's got like an eight pack and he was like ah i see that we are continuing the tradition of comic book characters with better abs than me <laughs> like, yeah sorry oh, i mean i didn't have abs like that when i used to run 10 plus miles a day so hmm that's that's kind of all you need to know. Some abs. I started getting them, and they were just too much maintenance. They're showy. They're like Jason Momoa has talked about how abs are actually like the worst thing to maintain because he has to like basically kill himself to do that. Yeah, listen up. I mean, try Pilates. That'll fuck you up. That'll fuck up your core. Like, no, thank in a you. Good way. It's. I'm just saying. <laughs> so here's the thing like i had a good couple of years where i ran over 10 miles a day where i refereed roller derby and i would lift weights a couple of times a week in the gym and i never had defined musculature even though i was in heinously good shape some people just aren't built that way and i would love to see that exactly exactly well you know what that's it for this episode But we'll see you next time with another zany conversation about comics. And until then, we'll see you in the stacks. Thanks for listening to Tencent Takes. Accessibility is important to us, so text transcriptions of each of our published episodes can be found on our website. This episode was hosted by Jessica Frazier and Mike Thompson. Written by Jessica Frazier and edited by Mike Thompson. Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson Johnson of Bay Area Sound. Our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan McDonald and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank, who goes by Look Mom Draws on Instagram. If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us questions, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to TencentTakes.com or shoot an email to TencentTakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter. The official podcast account is Tencent Takes. Jessica is Jessica Witha, and Jessica is spelled with a K. And Mike is Van Sau, V-A-N-S-A-U. 
If you'd like to support us, be sure to download, rate, and review wherever you listen. Stay safe out there. And support your local comic shop.